Once God's people established themselves in the land, they desired to have a king like the other nations. The problem with their reasoning was that their qualifications for a king were insufficient. They received what they wanted, but not what they needed. It's time to go to the second mile in learning about the king God provides. Hey, this is Travis Agnew. Thank you for joining me for the Second Mile Podcast, where we seek to live out the words of Jesus from Matthew 541, where he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go the second mile. As we reject mediocre Christian life and pursue discipleship, that really means something uh, from us. Uh, that's why this podcast exists, to help us go not just do the bare minimum, but go the second mile. And so right now, if you're listening to this, uh, maybe for the first time, you are entering in into week five of a 15-week um, walk through the Bible narrative. So if you're looking for a Bible reading plan, you can go to travisagnew.org and see the Word 100-Day Bible Reading Plan, which is 50 key passages in the Old Testament and 50 key passages in the New Testament. Uh, But even if you have a different reading plan, uh, I'm just taking 15 weeks to make sure you understand the entire narrative of the Scripture. So to catch us up, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was really, really good. Uh, He made man in His image and was supposed to display His likeness. But as man sinned, things got out of control very quickly. And sin continued to escalate, and pride and puff people up to where they thought they could reach heaven, but instead God came down. As he picked one man named Abram to be able to start a family, and Abraham would have Isaac, and Isaac would have Jacob, and Jacob would have a whole bunch of kids, and they would begin to spread. And finally, that nation of Israel would go into the nation of Egypt, and at the appropriate time, uh, as they were taking care of it one time, it then changed, and one Pharaoh wanted to put them into slavery. And God God rescued them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm and allowed the whole world to go and notice that the God of the Israelites was a very different God. These people wandered in the wilderness, though, led by Moses for 40 years as they were attempted to finally reach the promised land of which God had promised to them. And sin slowed them down repeatedly, but God was faithful regardless. And they finally settled into that promised land and had to decide who they were going to follow. And so as the mantle passes from Moses on down to Joshua, uh, Joshua looks at these people and says, so choose this day whom you will serve. Um, and and today we, we reach that place where the people are now established in the land. And what takes place? Well, this episode this week is we're going to look at these seven readings from the Old Testament. We're going to be talking about the king, the king that Israel first wanted, uh, that was not who they needed, and then eventually who God brings along that is a man after God's own heart, but really ultimately as it all relates to the one true king who is coming, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So as we start the week five of the grand narrative of the scripture, we're going to come to a book named First Samuel and going to be talking about someone named Samuel. There was a family that a young woman named Hannah who wanted to have a child and she was barren for many, many years. And then all of a sudden one day she begins to pray and cry out to God and ask God that she could have this child. And when she becomes pregnant, she says in a prayer that, Lord, if you'll give me this child, I'll give this child back to you. And so eventually this child, Samuel, is born and he's put into the hands, uh, the tutelage of the priest named Eli. And and the interesting thing about Eli is, is he's very representative of a lot of the leaders throughout the Old Testament. 
There are some moments of brilliance and some things they did, but there's like this incomplete uh, ability to finish the task. Uh, he did not disciple his own sons well enough to be able to pass that mantle on. And so there's this kind of lack of, of what needs to take place. And that, that pattern will be repeated numerous times. And so Samuel is brought into uh, the service of the Lord. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it's very interesting because at one time he, he hears God calling him. And at one point, it says that uh, early on in the chapter that he was ministering to the Lord, uh, serving in the temple, living there or whatnot. Uh, and then at another place, what happens is, is that it comes in and it says that um, before he actually minister to the Lord. Uh, later on, it says, but he did not know the Lord. So it gives us a sense of there are actually some people who are in the service of God, but they're not even yet knowing who God is or having a relationship with him. Through this moment, Samuel gets this call to be this type of priest that would be very, very different than those before it to try to draw the nation continually back to the presence of the Lord. And all that is fine and good, but as the nation gets more established and the tribes are kind of doing their own thing, there is a realistic sense of need for for some type of leadership that would bring everyone together. Uh, and yet what they decided to do was not exactly what they needed to do. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, there, there's a rejection of sorts that I think is one of the more pivotal places in Scripture, and this is the reason why. The people come to the priest Samuel and say, we want a king. And um, and and as Samuel pushes back and says, well, why do you want a king? It's basically like, well, all the other nations have a king, and we want to be like them. And and the whole distinguishing marks of being Israelites were we don't follow those other gods. We don't do those other things. We don't have to follow in that whole system. We've got a different way. Why? Because we have a true king, and his name is Yahweh. He is the great I Am. But yet they go to him and say, no, we want a king. And 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 as Samuel comes to God and kind of upset by it, he says, look, don't be upset by it for your end. They're not rejecting you. They're, they're rejecting me. But give them exactly what they want. And so Samuel asked them, what type of king do you want? And they had very particular qualifications. They wanted him to be um, tall, rich, and handsome, really. I mean, tall, dark, and handsome if you want to. Um, and, and they got the king. The, the, the tallest guy in the nation they could find was a guy by the name of King Saul. And you may think that sounds ridiculous, but they were putting all of their hope and trust in man. And so they look for characteristics that would have put someone above all other people around them. And so they literally did look for a tall person, someone who's an imposing figure that would impress everyone. And that was fine and good. But what they wanted was a tall person. And that king named Saul did decent until he came across someone who was actually taller than him. Isn't it interesting that in the whole scope of the Israelites um, searching for a king, they put their hope in someone's height and stature and in posing kind of uh, stature in front of them that all of a sudden the enemy that would put them to their knees is a guy by the name of Goliath from the Philistines who was, while Saul may have been tall, Goliath was taller. And all of what they put their hope in, now they come into context with someone who's going to push back. And now everything they put their hope in is kind of thrown to the side because there's somebody who can actually do it better. See, instead of continuing to have their trust and hope in God, they put it in man and in certain characteristics. But what do you do when those characteristics are robbed from you?
So they reject a king, they got King Saul. They put their hope in Saul's height and that worked well until somebody was taller. And so what takes place? There is a young boy that comes down to the battlefield in 1 Samuel chapter 17 who uh, hears this giant screaming out and sees Saul shaking in his tent, no one being willing to go down and fight him. And this runt of the family, if you will, right? The youngest in the family, the shepherd, the kind of outcast, the guy on the margins goes in and he understands something. He says, um, somebody needs to stand up to this guy. Um, and, and, and we don't know, everybody on the battlefield doesn't know this, that David's actually been anointed king because Samuel has come in and said, here's a man after God's own heart. And so he goes down on that anointing and, and basically hears Goliath taunting. And it wasn't the fact that he felt threatened. It was the fact that he was defying God. And if you look at the words of what David said is, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you down because all nations will know that there's a God in Israel. So basically this battle, we see it between David and Goliath. Some might see it as Israel and Philistines. But ultimately what this was, was this was about God's name among the nations. And so David goes in and takes this fella out. Uh, takes him down with his uh, with his stones. He cuts his head off, and then all of a sudden, as the armies go back into um, the city, there's a song that all the people are singing in the streets that Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. David becomes a hero, and that obviously intimidates and threatens Saul. And Saul gets fits of jealousy and turns insane. Tries to kill David numerous times. David will not. Um, take revenge on him because he says that position is not mine to take. It is the position that the Lord gives. And so he waits his time. And at an appropriate time, when, when Saul does pass away, David is put as king. And we see in these early moments, of some of the things that David tries to do is that he, he does try to institute worship in a good way. He, he moves the city capital to Jerusalem where it's supposed to be. And um, there's all these kind of things. He starts to forming the nation and putting organization around it. And you kind of see God wasn't against administration or organization. What he was against was uh, man-made wisdom trumping God's commandments. That, that that was the issue there. And and so so David leads very, very well. In addition to being an incredible uh, leader, uh, military strategist, uh, administrator, you name it, he also was a poet, a musician. And so we see um, so many of the Psalms were written by David. Psalms like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalms like uh, Psalm 103, that bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And, and, and all these wonderful things and so you see all these natures of, of what's going on in him. But you also see another psalm that he writes that oh, we typically know in Psalm 51. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to my, my sins. Like, according to your loving kindness, I blot out my transgressions. And where would that song come from? Well, it, it came from a time when David should have been at battle, should have been leading the troops, but instead he was taking care of his own desires. And he was uh, looking at a woman named Bathsheba, and um, through a horrible series of events, adultery, um, power manipulation, um, and then even leading to murder, uh, and, and all kinds of situations, the, the, the situation with David and Bathsheba were absolutely horrible. Uh, and yet what's crazy about David is for every Goliath, there was always a Bathsheba. For every success, there was always this failure. And, and so David has this issue where one day he's kind of wanting to build the temple and do certain things. And God says, no, there's going to come a king who can do this, but you're not qualified to be that king. 
And, and so some people would think, well, the next king must be Solomon or maybe Rehoboam to come in later down the line. But actually what he's talking about is he says to him one day, he says, there's going to be a king who will sit on your throne forever. And we know this to be the coming Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so as we see him, we find the point of the Bible and the point of our lives. I hope to see you on the second mile.